Have you ever made a promise? I'm sure you have at some point in your life. And it strikes me that there are perhaps three types of promises, or maybe uh, we could say three levels of promises. First, there's the out-and-out vow. If you're married, then you surely took marriage vows in order to get married. If you are a member of a Presbyterian and Reformed church, then you likely took membership vows when you made your profession of faith. Or if you uh, have ever testified in court, then you took a vow to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Second, there are uh, the less formal Uh, but still important and binding promises that we make every day. Uh, If your spouse asks you to clean the garage out, you might say, yes, dear, this weekend, I promise. Or if your mother says, "Uh, when are you going to do your schoolwork? You might answer, right after this program is finished. Uh, I promise, Mom. And then finally, there are the simple, casual agreements and commitments in which we say, okay, or even just nod our heads when someone expresses the, uh, the hope or expectation that we will do something or be somewhere at a certain time. And regardless of the level of our promises, uh, we need to see the importance of being boys and girls, men and women, of our word. You've heard the saying, the mind is a terrible thing to waste, uh, but perhaps a corollary would be that trust is a terrible thing to lose. And what about you? Are you a a person who is trusted? Uh, What does your word mean to others? God calls us to be true to our promises. We fail All too often, but the call is to be true to our promises. Psalm 15 even commends the man who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That means that we do what we said we would do, even if it ends up costing us more and uh, even far more than we thought it would. No matter what it costs, we do what we said we would do. But even more than Psalm 15 or any other passage of Scripture, the thing that calls us to be true to our promises is that our Lord Jesus Christ has made promises to us. In our text for this afternoon, we we hear this promise of Boaz to Ruth, I will redeem you. And by these words, by this promise of Boaz to Ruth, Are we not reminded of the promises of the gospel, the promises of Christ our Savior to us? In John 6, verse 37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. We noted this promise last time as we saw Ruth making herself presentable to to Boaz. So, We don't have to do that because Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There's another 
precious promise of Jesus contained in this same passage in John 6 verse 39. Jesus said, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. Then in the next verse, he said much the same thing, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Even more in John 11. Don't you just love going over the promises of the gospel? In John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's a promise. It's a precious promise. The best of all promises ever heard on the face of the earth. And even more yet, in John 14, verse 2 and 3, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will. Another promise. I will come. I will come again. And there it is, a promise. I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The promises of Christ are, are precious to the believer in Christ. Precious to the sinner who has found in Christ the, the hope, uh, the joy of his or her life. And as we recognize our, our weakness in being true to our word, let us meditate all the more upon the promises of a faithful Christ. And that's what I would have us to do this afternoon as we look at uh, just a few verses from Ruth 2, verses 6 through 13. Let's take note of these three points. Number one, at the feet of Christ. Number two, the covering of Christ. And finally, the promise of redemption. So first of all, at the feet of Christ... Verses 6 and 7 record, So she, that is Ruth, she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, she went and lay down at the end of the heap of grain. Uh, Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now what we don't have is other texts of Scripture, at least not very many, that would explain to us in detail what Ruth was doing. We know, of course, that she was following Naomi's instruction, that's clear, but why Naomi told her to do this, we we don't know all of it, except that the scholars would uh, generally agree that, that these were the expected actions of a woman desiring to be Redeemed. In other words, this is what was required and expected that Ruth would go to her Redeemer and present herself to him in humility and deference. And the important thing for us, beyond understanding all the cultural uh, idiosyncrasies, is to see in Ruth's approach to Boaz our own approach to Christ. 
Like we said last time, there are those who, who think of, of coming to Christ in faith as, as, uh, um, as they come to, them, come to him as their Savior, but yet with no intention, it would seem, of coming to him as their Lord. In other words, they, they do not come to Christ as it were laying down at his feet. Granted, to lay at someone's feet is a humiliating gesture. And even me, even we might uh, want to say, you know, is that really necessary? Uh, can't I uh, have something closer to a, a mutual relationship to Christ? And the answer really is no. Based on what we see of the character of Christ and, and of the saving and, and, and of saving faith defined by God's word, and perhaps the passage to, to go to here is Luke five verse eight. Luke five verse eight, where we see Peter falling at Jesus' feet. Luke 5, verse 8 records, And when Peter saw it, referring to the great miracle that Jesus did before his eyes, when when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. And in the next verse, Luke explains, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. What we often underestimate, I believe, is how clearly Jesus displayed his divinity even from the beginning of his ministry. We have grown so accustomed to hearing of his miracles that, that perhaps we have come to see Jesus' miracles, you know, just like magic tricks. What do you do when you, when you see a, a magic trick? An illusory sleight of hand, as we say. Well, you smile, right? Uh, uh, hey, that was pretty good, you say. Let's see that again. Or, or can you do another one? But that wasn't the reaction of those uh, who saw the miracles of Jesus firsthand. And, and we would be fools to think that we would have reacted differently. When Jesus did his miracles, yes, it incited wonder, but also fear. In the very least, it made the hair on the back of their necks stand up. Um, if you read the book of Daniel, you, you can hear uh, the story of King Belshazzar and the handwriting on the wall. You remember that one? And it says, The king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. That, I think, is much closer to the reaction of the people when they saw the miracles of the man who is God. The only difference, and it's a a key difference, was that the miracles of Jesus were done out of love. Not just to scare people, but to help them. And so, yes, they were afraid. We can even say that on some occasions, like with Peter in Luke 5, they were terrified but they were also moved by the love of Jesus, by his compassion. And not just moved, but, but even drawn to him, which set up a, a, a strange kind of relationship to Jesus. On one hand, they, they were afraid of Jesus. 
On the other hand, they were drawn to him. That, of course, is our own situation as well. Here is the same scenario within our own relationship to the Christ who is God. If we truly know him, if if we see him rightly within the pages of Scripture, we will find ourselves fearing him. But at the very same time, if the Holy Spirit is, is working in our hearts, we will be drawn to him. And the result will be that, that we most certainly come to him, but that we will come to him falling at his feet. Even as Ruth came and, and lay at the feet of Boaz, even as Peter fell at Jesus' knees, so we will come and take up a relationship to him at his feet. If we need further proof of this, we can always go uh, again, as we did this morning, to the book of Revelation to consider John's experience. John, you recall, was the disciple whom Jesus loved. John was the one in in John 13, verse verse 25, the one who was reclining at table, leaning back against Jesus. In our own day, it would be like uh, two best friends, arm in arm, or even giving each other a hug. It was a, it was a posture of friendship and, and affection. And yet in Revelation 1, when John was given a vision of Jesus in his glory, he fell at his feet. Revelation 1, verse 12 and following says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, uh, lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like, uh, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And verse 17 recalls the result, the, the outcome for the apostle whom Jesus loved. When I saw him, wrote John, I fell at his feet as though dead. So can we see how far afield we've come? Uh, in the 1960s, the, the, uh, the Doobie Brothers sang the words, Jesus is just all right with me. And even the church, it would seem, went right along with it. And it wasn't just one musical group and one song. It was an entire culture of influence Now it's some 40 years later and we still haven't regained a true sense of falling, falling at the feet of Jesus, both in fear and yet in love for him. You see, I think that back when people came dressed up for worship, uh, when they came to church quietly with solemnity and care, Well, sure, there were some who did it as hypocrites. 
But surely there were those, perhaps even the majority, who came to church that way because they knew the Christ of Scripture. They knew John 1. They, they knew that Christ is God. And they knew, Isaiah 6, that God is not a God to be approached casually or worse yet, flippantly. They knew that worship was not supposed to be fun, enjoyable, yes, but not fun. And they knew, Luke 7, that as, as God uh, came walking among his people in the form of the incarnate Christ, they knew that Peter trembled before him and fell at his feet. And they knew that upon his resurrection, his disciples fell down and worshipped him. And they knew, Revelation 1, that when John saw Jesus in his glorified state, he even fell down before him as, as if a man who was dead before Christ. Funny how so many in the church today have judged an entire previous generation as stuck-in-the-mud hypocrites while they ignore the clear presentation of Christ in Scripture. If Jesus is just all right with me, if, if I would come to church to meet with the risen Christ and have a back-slapping good time, then I plainly do not know Christ. Clearly, I have set up for myself a false Christ, one, one of my own making by my own imagination. The testimony of God's Word is, is too abundantly clear. Who is Jesus? He is God. And he is to be met with fear and reverence. In fact, we aren't here just to meet up with Jesus, but instead to answer his summons. That's why we have a call to worship. To answer the summons of our king. To appear before him. And to do so, at least in heart, by falling at his feet. And so the second point, the covering of Christ. You see, it's not even the case that as we fall at his feet, that Jesus puts his feet on us and lords it over us, as we say. It's not the case. Uh, it's not the case that Jesus treats us with contempt when we come and lie at his feet. There are those whom Jesus will treat with contempt upon his return in glory. Psalm 60 says, Moab is my wash basin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. So there are those who refuse to fall at his feet who will be cast down at his feet in the end. But about the people of God it says, Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. And Judah is my scepter. The people of God are the honored ones. They are the ones whom Christ honors as they lie at his feet. And we see this in, uh, in Ruth's approach to Boaz, specifically in, in her request of him. Uh, Ruth 3 verse 8 records, At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread uh, uh, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. 
So now we see the symbolism of what Ruth did. She, she uncovered the feet of Boaz and laid down upon, uh, uh, or, or uh, laid down upon uh, the floor at his feet. And the meaning of this action was to request that he cover her. So now we must draw in another concept of salvation. Last time we connected the idea of rest with redemption. Rest is the result, the outcome of redemption, just as God redeemed his people in Egypt in order to give them rest in the promised land. Well, here's the idea of covering. As Ruth makes this request, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So going back to Revelation 1, what, uh, uh, what does Christ do as John falls at his feet? Uh, does he step on John? Does he uh, put his feet on John in any way? No, Revelation 1.17 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forever, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And does this not fit with how Boaz treated Ruth? Instead of lording it over Ruth, instead of treating her with contempt, certainly didn't take advantage of her, as some men might have, Boaz commended Ruth and and blessed her. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. And he even promises her, And now, my daughter, do not fear. Same words that Jesus spoke to John, Do not fear. Said uh, Jesus to John in in Revelation 1, Do not fear, said Boaz. I will do for you all that you ask. As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. It was the same with Jesus and Peter in Luke 5. Um, Peter had fallen at Jesus' knees, and he he said to him, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But Jesus responded, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And so we too must remember that, that, that as we come to Jesus falling at his knees, as we come to lie at his feet, he will honor us. Indeed, he will cover us. And the idea of, of covering as a saving act of God runs throughout Scripture. It begins in the Garden of Eden. As God made for Adam and Eve, his, or for Adam and his wife, Garments of skins to clothe them, we are told. We see it in the tabernacle and the temple and the design of the, of the ark. The, the, the temple and the ark were designed by God to instill fear and awe in his presence. And yet over the ark was a covering. And it was called the mercy seat. We see the idea of covering repeatedly in the Psalms as, uh, as we hear it said that God covers his people like a bird spreading his wings of protection over them. Psalm 17 verse 8 says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. 
Psalm 57, verse 1 says, Be merciful to me, O Lord, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. In our own day, we are known to say, I got you covered. Uh, don't worry, I'll cover it. But we need to understand that it's, it's only Jesus who can truly say that. It's only Jesus who can cover us in the way that we really need to be covered. It's only Jesus who uh, covers the debt of our sin. It's only Jesus who covers us and protects us from all evil in this world. It's only Jesus who covers our bodies even in death and promises to raise us up in the last day upon his return. You know, one of these days, they're going to put a sheet over your dead body. They're going to slide you into a drawer in a refrigerated room. But here is your comfort. Christ has you covered even there. He is your Redeemer. And He has redeemed you by His blood. In a very real sense, you have already died and have been raised. Because you died and rose again with Him and in Him. And now He has you covered, both in life and in death. And that brings us full circle back to the promise of redemption. The, the third point is the same as where we started. What's so striking about this part of the story is how, how ready Boaz was to grant, um, to grant Ruth's request and to redeem her. Again, he said to her, May you be blessed by the Lord. My daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. And in verse 13, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. And, th- and in this we hear the, promise, uh, the promises of the gospel, the, the, the promises that Christ himself has made to us. And, and even as Boaz went on to say to Ruth, lie down until the morning. So we can hear Christ saying to us, even in death, lie down. Lie down until the morning. In the day of our death, we can die in peace. We don't have to wait until we're dead to rest in peace. Isn't that something? Indeed, even as we are dying, even now, we can rest in peace because we have the promise of Christ that he will redeem us from the grave. He will raise us up in the last day and he will raise us up in order that we might be with him where he is now in the joy and the glory of heaven. We might note again the uncertainty with which Naomi and Ruth proceeded. Naomi had said, wash therefore and anoint yourself, put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. It was, it was a moment of of, of uncertainty, uh, would he or wouldn't he? Uh, was there hope or, or would they be left in despair? And now the question was answered. Now the light of morning was dawning in more ways than one. 
I will do for you as you ask, said Boaz. And we, we have the same certainty, even more from Christ by his promise to us. I say even more because Boaz was just a man. Good man, but just a man. He might have gotten up in the morning and fallen dead and suffered a stroke. I, I don't know. Like us, his promises had a limit. But the limit to his promise was not his integrity or his character. He was a man of his word. He was a man who did what he said he would do. And we have an even more faithful Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. With him, there are no limits to his promises because he has already died and risen again. Remember what he said to John in Revelation 1, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forever, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So are you ready? Are you prepared to come to lie at the feet of Jesus? Are you ready to acknowledge him as your Savior and Lord? He is not the tyrant king who calls us to submit and then shames us at his feet. Instead, he is the Savior King, indeed the Redeemer King, who calls us to submit to him so that as our Lord, as our King, as our God, he will then provide for our every need, including our need for redemption from sin and from death and from hell. He is like the bird who covers... um, who covers her young with her wings. Uh, He is the mercy seat upon the Ark of the Covenant. He covers us even with the white robe of his own righteousness. He is the resurrection and the life, and we can trust him. We can find in him a redeemer, a savior, a king who makes us tremble by the sheer reality of who he is, in all his glory, but a king who says to us, do not be afraid, fear not, I will redeem you. So brothers and sisters, let us come. Let us come to fall and to lie at his feet. Let us do so in joy. Let us do so in hope. And there we will find peace. Amen. Let's pray. Again in this day, O Lord Jesus, we delight to look into your word and to see who you are and who you are for us. We give you thanks for your revelation and we give you thanks for the assurance that comes to us that you are our Redeemer and that you are our God who keeps his promises to us and always will. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus, amen.